Welcome, Foul Tarnished. You are listening to episode 20 of Elden Kings, an Elden Ring discussion. This is Gideon the half and tonight's topic is uh, the making of Elden Ring mods and the monetization of them. To talk about it, we have Garden of Eyes, a, uh, a content creator within the Elden Ring community that focuses on Elden Ring mods, coming on to talk about his own monetization process and his creation process as well when it comes to making mods. So uh, hello and welcome to the Roundtable Hold uh, Garden. I hope you are having a nice day today. Yeah, thank you for having me here. <laughs> yeah, of course. We like to welcome, you know, all kinds of creators to the Roundtable Hold to talk about their own sort of interactions with the Elden Ring community and the creation of content for it. So it's always nice to get a new face. Yeah, and uh, I'm very excited like to, to like the like to discuss this kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so let's hop right into it in that case. Uh, so you make mods. I was looking through your channel and it seemed like a lot of them had to do with like these very cool looking weapon sets or new types of incantations or sorceries or spells. Um, do you want me to tell, would you like to tell me about some of your inspiration when it comes to making this kind of content? Yeah, so basically, like, the way, like, originally when we started, uh, like, originally that was, like, like I think sec- six or seven years back. Like, I was very interested in, like, cut content of, uh, like, in generally, when, when Dark Souls 2 was released, like, I was doing, like, cut content videos for it. Uh, I was just, like, very excited in how, like, modifying parts of the code can make you, for example, access... Uh, like weapons, uh, like cut weapons or unused armors, unused weapons, uh, sometimes even like accessing new bosses that were cut from the game and all of that, uh, which was very exciting for me uh, in that regard. And at that time, like there were a lot of, let's say, uh, like cheat engine tables and tools that allowed us to do these kinds of stuff. So that's what got me into modding uh, games in general, like for the Soul series. And uh, when Dark Souls 3 released, I also like started doing more cut content and all of that. But uh, like the major, let's say, turning point was uh, when we made the Garden of Ice channel was doing the Bloodborne boss versus boss videos. And the idea of those is that they required not just, let's say, simple code replacement. They required actually, let's say, moving bosses from one arena to another, uh, having their AI work in the other arenas, uh, having phase changes, uh, their effects, all of that. There were a lot. There was a lot of, let's say, details that went into making those videos. So it gave me, let's say, an overall, let's say, look and perspective into the code of the game and how it works, like how the characters they link with the effects, they link with the animations, all of these kinds of stuff. So it gave me like a very good idea on how to how to basically like change the different elements and link them up in the game. And uh, so when Elder Ring released. Uh, that was, I think, like one of the things that, like, I wanted. Okay, I see like a lot of overhaul mods, or just like mods in general, like people doing them for like adding new weapons, all of that. So I, I started uh, restoring the boss weapons because, like, a lot of people like they, they think that they're very underwhelming in terms of move sets and all of that. So I was thinking, like, okay, I was, I was creating something called restored boss weapons. So, for example, let's say Marika's hammer having. Uh, like the animation from uh, Radagon, uh, Malekith's uh, Black Blade having the buff from Malekith. Like you, sometimes it's just visual changes, or sometimes it's just like changing some of the combos of the weapon and all of that. And that's basically that was the start of the thing. But then afterwards, I was like seeing okay, there's a lot of potential. Uh, there's a lot of people 
who are interested in this kind of content. There's a lot of people that want more than just like changing weapons. So that was when I thought like, okay, yeah, I want to start making an actual overhaul mod that doesn't just focus on weapons, but also focuses on like adding new gameplay elements, new armors, new mechanics in general for the game and all of that. And uh, I think it just like kickstarted from there. Like we started, uh, I started talking to some people in the community. Some people were interested in the project. So they started joining in. Uh, some people from other teams, uh, like the Roaring Forge, for example, they uh, some of the some of the people on their team they started designing weapons uh, like specifically for the Garden of Eyes mod, and just like the team like kept growing basically. And right now we're basically like a full team uh, of people who are dedicated to creating the uh, like uh, the main mod that we have is is called the uh, it's called the Garden of Eyes Overhaul mod. Like, this is the main, let's say, overhaul mod that we are working towards, which is the biggest project. But we also do, like, other smaller, let's say, overhaul mods uh, that are mostly themed around other games. So, for example, we made a mod uh, for God of War, where we added weapons from God of War with new movesets and all of that. We did Harry Potter, we did the World of Warcraft, and it's just like we, we're, we're trying to, like, basically change up the experience of the game as much as possible with these, let's say, mods that offer different experiences but like the main major mod that we are all working towards is the garden of eyes mod which is basically the big overhaul mod that we are targeting so okay so it sounds like you had your start with ds2 you know you went through like this, the sort of crucible training arc with bloodborne <laughs> where you really had to learn the uh the game code to be able to move those bosses around I know that like a lot of boss AI sometimes is tied to the level they're in, so I can definitely see how that might have been a challenge to really perfect. And that's sort of cool that you've uh, you've culminated with the latest release, you know, with Elden Ring, and you've even gotten you know you've gathered like a team to yourself for really honing in these sort of weapon overhauls that you've uh, you've gotten so good at. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, as you said, like, especially with the, as you said, like, some of the enemies, uh, uh, like, there are some enemies, for example, that, uh, uh, let's say, they go from phase one to phase two when you place them in any level because it's built into, it's built into their AI. But some other enemies, no, it was tied to the level itself, so you had to take that into consideration, and move it to the other level and stuff. So these like little differences, like they made me like understand like how parts of the code works and all of that so as you said like it gave me a very like a good idea of getting into the stuff and actually dark souls 2 was dark souls 2 was my first uh like souls game that i played so it it, it will always like have a special place in my heart for both being my first souls game and my first let's say the so first souls game that i modded basically <laughs> so <laughs> it was a first in two occasions. It was my first Souls game exactly. too, and it was sort of my first Souls game that I played modded, so I'm sort of with you <laughs> to an extent. <laughs> uh, when you modded the Dark Souls 2, what kind of uh, content did you make? I sort of remember this infamous cut content where there was a barrel, like cut content <laughs> piece of armor, so that always was one of my favorite things. Yeah, so for Dark Souls 2, like it was mainly... So like I started like there was um, like because like back then I didn't let's say have any experience in modding so there were like cheat engine tables that allowed you to uh, to spawn in items that uh, let's say didn't like you won't normally have or changing IDs of uh, let's say characters to load other characters and stuff and uh, basically the things like which uh, like I showcased were uh, 
like weapon, some weapon models, uh, some armors, like the barrel one you mentioned. Uh, like that was the main stuff that uh, like I was showcasing in Dark Souls 2 at the time. And at, at that time, like I didn't like I wasn't very let's say aware that there was like this whole like modding community. I, I was actually like 14 or 15 when when I started modding Dark Souls 2. So like I was I was very let's say. Uh, like very unaware of like yeah there are people who are making tools and people who are putting effort into that like i was just like oh i downloaded the table yeah i'm doing this oh yes this is cool i'm gonna showcase it on youtube and all so it was just like yeah i'm excited and uploading all of that stuff and it just like like carried on like this this passion like for modding games and uh like then like when dark souls 3 came, dark souls 3 came like i started okay actually learning like yeah if i want to let's say make these uh let's say modding tools myself will not make the modding tools, but at least understand like how they are working. And then like when uploading, for example, videos of the tools and showcasing them like, yeah, okay, yeah, I use this tool, for example, to make this, to make this. Yeah. So uh, like that, that was one of the, let's say, turning points of uh, like, I think Dark Souls 3 is the one that was uh, like, I showcased like unused content and all of that, like armors, weapons, uh, like bosses, variations and all of that. And uh then, like, when Dark Souls 3, like, started dying down, and we still didn't have, like, any news of Elder Ring at that time. So I thought, like, okay, uh, there was a lot of people uploading Dark Souls 3 boss versus boss, uh, and Dark Souls 2 boss versus boss videos. And I was like, okay, why not do it for Bloodborne? So I started, like, uploading the Bloodborne boss versus boss videos, and people just, like, <laughs> went crazy about them. So, like, that was what kick-started, like, uh, the Garden of Eyes, and what carried on, like, to build something towards uh, when Elder Ring was released is that we started also doing boss versus boss videos for Elder Ring, and then we started creating the mods and all of that. Okay, that's a pretty cool history to it. I like that you sort of, like, you know, you jumped right into the modding community by using the pre-existing tools, like the cheat engine sheets. And that sort of, like, I bet that was just really interesting as a way of learning the games, as well as learning how to progressively get better at the software side of it. Um, and, like, honestly, there's been a huge progression in the modding tools for Souls since 2014, hasn't there? Like, it's really gotten much better by now, from what I've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah indeed. And, uh, like, I was actually talking to some of, like, the other modders about this. And, like, there's, let's say, a lot of people that believe that, uh, like, Sek Sekiro's release was one of the main turning points for modding because it was a strictly single-player experience. So it got more people, let's say, into modding the game, into downloading mods, into generally accepting the ideas of mods for the game because it's a single-player game. Because for Dark Souls 3, like, you have complications like uh, you have to play offline uh, or you might get banned if you change the files in the wrong way or you mess up or something. So for Sekiro, it was, let's say, much more convenient. So I think, like, Sekiro like, added a, was a very big turning point for modding uh, the Souls series. And it just carried on like the this like it literally snowballed like now with Elder Ring it's it's becoming like a very great sandbox for mods. Uh, like I, I honestly believe like you know like how Skyrim for example is now like one of the biggest games. It's still alive because of people creating mods for it. Uh, so I think Elder Ring is gonna like have something very similar happening to it very soon because we have a lot of advancement in terms of the modding tools and the modding community itself and how much effort and how much um, let's say dedication is being put into reverse engineering the file formats and all of these kinds of stuff so 
yeah, that, it's, I'm very excited to see like why, how the modding scene for Elden Ring is going to progress moving uh, moving forward, especially after the DLC is out also, because a lot of people, let's say, they prefer like, okay, after the DLC is released, then we have the full experience of the game. So then after people finish all of that, then they want, let's say, new content, uh, modded content, all that. So that's when people start getting more into, yeah, we want to download this mod, this mod to change up the experience as much as possible. Because they probably beat the game like five or six or ten times already, so they would want some kind of new experience. So mods are one of the main uh, main components that can deliver on these uh, expectations, let's say. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like those big overhaul mods can really serve to make a game that you've played, you know, a couple times through with the same mechanics feel a lot more fresh than it once was. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I 100% agree with this, which is one of the main reasons like, why I actually wanted to mod the game, because like, Elder Ring is a very great game. It's a very deep game, whether in terms of story, in terms of gameplay, all of that. And expanding upon that and people experiencing more of that world is something that that's one of my my goals, that people can keep on playing this, this great of a game. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I bet there's even like a little bit of like uh, inspiration, so to say, from seeing how they put together the game and then just wanting to try and make your own take and like, you know, perfect it, not perfect it in like a sort of objective sense, but perfect it in your own subjective tastes, you know? I think that's nice. Yeah, exactly, because like that, that, that's the cool thing also, uh, which is one of the things like I love about the modding uh, scene is because the basically how different mods they have completely different approaches to the game like the garden of eyes has a specific approach of let's say in terms of content uh, other mods uh, let's say even for dark souls 3 so for example you have arch thrones you have cinders you have conversion uh, the convergence mod uh, each of them like is have their own approach of doing the mod how they are building the world and what's the narrative they're trying to tell so it's very nice seeing, it's like you're having different variations and different, uh, like, quote-unquote DLCs for the game, each with a completely different theme. So you can try this aspect, you can try this aspect, you can try this aspect. So it's very interesting having that sort of diversity uh, in, in terms of playing the mods. And, and us, the people who are developing the mods, also bringing our own vision to... To the, to the people and actually seeing that vision alive and people actually playing the thing that you are creating. Yeah, absolutely. It's sort, of, uh, it's sort of interesting that you compared the game earlier to Skyrim in a way, with how, in terms of how its modding community might flourish, because um, Fighting Cowboy, one of our earlier guests, compared it to Skyrim as well, but in terms of like the open world aspect and the replayability of the game, and honestly, I think that's very true in both statements, where Elden Ring has the versatility in its open world aspects to really appeal to replayability from everyone, as well as like inspire its own sort of mod scene, because there's just like, there's a lot to build off of it, it feels like. Yeah, I think that one of the main reasons, like also Elden Ring is sort of took all of the best aspects from all of the previous Souls games and put that in an open world game. So in terms of uh, in terms of mechanics, in terms of bosses, in terms of general uh, gameplay aspects, they took the best stuff from all of the games and they just mashed them together into one big game. 
So you could say like Elder Ring is technically the ultimate Souls experience of sorts, because even in terms of cut content from previous games, there's a lot of ideas that were in the cut content, uh, specifically for some bosses, where they sort of, uh, let's say, reimagined the ideas of those cut content into actual ideas in, uh, in Elder Ring. Yeah, absolutely. Even the story is rehashed. Not rehashed in a bad way, but it's like the Souls trilogy told without the same baggage of the light versus dark setting. Like, everything's been rejumbled together into, in my opinion, a very great game. <laughs> like, we even see such old concepts as the, uh, the Asylum Demon getting remade into the Erdtree Avatar. Yeah, there, there is always, like, let's say, these quote-unquote themes that you can see, they are always there in all, in technically, like, mostly all Souls games. Like, as you said, the Asylum Demon, uh, which was originally, like, based on the Vanguard from Demon Souls, and then here in the Earthtree Avatar, uh, you have Patches as an NPC that appears in all of the games. Um, uh, and, uh, like, in general, some of, like, there are some recurring themes that happen that are occurring in every game. And I don't think people have a problem <laughs> with them in general. It's just like that type of fan service that doesn't ruin the experience and the immersiveness of the game, but they add it in a way that sort of fits into the narrative and the world and the storytelling of that game. So it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing in that regard. Not overdoing it, of course, like, like keeping a good balance between fan service and uh, keeping the original theme and narrative of the game. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's sort of like Fire Emblem in a way, although I think it's less egregious in its reuse of tropes. And it's honestly, I've heard it best described as a sort of in-house style that FromSoft uses, where you just have these general expectations of how they'll use different thematic ideas and different enemies or locations to represent different narrative ideas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, like I like how you like. Basically, it's an in-house theme. <laughs> like, uh, that's literally like, like it's it's a very accurate description of of the thing that you were talking about. So, <laughs> thank you. Um, so moving on, uh, let's talk about some of the specific mods that you've made. Like you mentioned that you were making boss weapons, so to say, and I think I remember seeing that you had made a sort of like fan weapon, like the Fell God's Greatsword, I think it was called, or like the Flame of Ruin Greatsword. Yeah, so as I said, like at the start, we just started with creating or restoring boss weapons to give them, let's say, a better moveset, making them a little bit more special than other weapons in terms of that they are made from boss weapons. But when we changed the idea that, okay, yeah, we want to make an overhaul mod, we didn't want it just to be, let's say, restored weapons or reimagined weapons. We wanted to create completely new ideas. So that was when uh, we got into contact. Like, that was when we basically started building the team. And uh, some of the people from another modding team called the Roaring Forge, uh, like two of them, uh, like two of the members, uh, Kaji and Luna. And Kaji is basically the uh, like the weapon designer now for the lead designer for the Garden of Eyes. Uh, basically, weapons and bosses. So we started creating completely new concepts for completely new weapons. Like as you mentioned, the Felgad Greatsword. Uh, we also created a completely new trick weapon. I, I think now we have around twelve completely new custom weapons with. Uh, like generally what we try to do with the designs of the weapon is expand upon the existing theme of the game. So for example, creating uh, 
let's a trick weapon that was related to the Carrion, uh, let's say, faction. Uh, th there's like a lore reason surrounding that that we're going to be, let's say, revealing and releasing soon in the mod with a completely new lore and narrative, like regarding explaining like why this specific weapon exists. But the idea is that we're creating new narratives. We are expanding upon the existing narratives. And that was one of the cool things, like, as I said, is that we have certain visions that we can bring into the mods. And that's the great thing about having a team as well. Because if, if I want to do an overhaul mod myself, I will be sort of limited in terms of the creative, uh, the creative process and the creative, uh, let's say, the ideation in general for the uh, the ideas of the mod so having a team actually helping visualize these stuff helping make these stuff uh it can help enhance the experience much more and having fresh perspective on all the different stuff so right now we have people who are specialized in doing move sets we have uh, now kaji and uh, another uh, uh 3d designer uh, called madmaster he's the, they're doing uh, model 3d models for weapons and armors uh, you have Luna doing movesets. We have people uh, like Rel creating creating brand new music tracks and boss tracks for some of the new bosses that we are designing. Uh, uh, we have people who are putting videos. So having that diverse team is something that's really good that, as I said, brings very fresh perspectives to the mod and bringing something that's that's fresh also for the people playing the mod. So they're not just playing something that they've already seen. No, they are experiencing something completely new. So... Uh, like there's a lot of people in terms of trick weapons, for example, they want uh, they keep telling yes, please port the Bloodborne trick weapons and all of that. And it's not exactly that I'm against it, but I would prefer actually creating new ideas for trick weapons. So, for example, if we want to okay, we want to port the sock lever, we're not going to port this exact same model of the sock lever. We're going to recreate it and reimagine it so that it fits in the world of Elder Ring of sorts and creating some sort of narrative around it so that we don't, let's say, break the immersiveness in general of, of, the, of the game. Now, there's, of course, there's going to be like some fan service stuff, especially for armors, because like armors are mostly, let's say, cosmetic things. So... Like people just like playing with their favorite armor sometimes, so that we can like do some sort of lore reason why these, for example, Dark Souls two armors exist. But in general, like we're trying as much as possible to keep the original narrative of the game and expanding upon it in our own narrative of sorts. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. That when building a team, you know, you'd get a much easier sort of division of labor that would make things more efficient and easier to create an overall mod without burning yourself out on all of the development. And also I can see how uh, having like different minds and different heads at the brainstorming table would help really refine some of the ideas into something more functional. Um, I like that when you make your mods, you try to make them not like anachronistic to the game itself by building lore. You know, it's it, I think it really adds to the fan content vibe of what you're doing because you're not just porting gameplay functions. You're sort of getting into the spirit of sort of like content creation within like fan stories about the game itself. And um, I don't know, we had a uh, we had a guest, Grimrook, the creator of the Daughters of Ash mod on before, and he, you know, obviously with Daughters of Ash and the up his upcoming mod Nightfall, it has a lot of fan story going on about Dark Souls 1. And honestly, like, I, I mean, I love that personally. So, you know, I, I 
think it's cool that that's the avenue you're choosing for your own content. Yeah, because because I think like as I said, like just having that sort of uh, let's say fan fiction of sorts uh, implemented into these kinds of new stories and these new things can uh, bring some more variety to the mod and not just and bring like a variety to the game itself actually because we can stick like strictly to what is exactly mentioned in the game, but that would be like very like I don't want to say very boring, but like very just limited. Like the idea of a mod is to expand upon the game in things that let's say the game developers want to do. So for example, like one of the things we did was flying mounts where like you can ride uh, like a hippogriff or like a flying bird or something. And like you can fly around all of the world. Now, of course it's not something that's let's say very po like, let's say not broken because like you can go to the, to very, let's say late game areas from the start. But it's something that's just fun to do, like flying around the entire world of Elden Ring, like without needing to unlock stuff or anything. It's just like something fun that you can do to to enjoy the game in a way that the developers would never would never implement. Now we're not saying that they're bad for not implementing it. It's just something that might not fit with their vision of the game. So that's when mods can, let's say, achieve that goal of just like doing things that people will enjoy in the framework of the game itself like like that i think flying mounts is like the best example for this because it's one of the let's say if you think about it from a gameplay perspective it, it breaks the entire idea of the game and the open world because as i said you can go to very late game areas from the start of the game but as i said it's something that's fun to use it's fun to play to fly around the entire world of elder ring as you wish from the start it rounds out the whimsical gameplay and community sort of vibe to the game. Like, I, I feel like it almost harkens back to old cheat codes in games, where after you beat it, you can enable all sorts of things that just break it mechanically. You know, like you said, flying anywhere is going to let you bypass a bunch of the game, going to skip a bunch of triggers. You know, there's all sorts of possible issues. But obviously, most people that are interacting with this kind of content, I mean, they've beaten the game. They just, they want to mess around. They want to have fun. So it's sort of nice that now that there's no cheat codes or anything anymore, we've got, you know, mod creators that are just sort of still catering to that more whimsical side of what people might want from a game, which, you know, obviously won't fit into the vision of adventuring through a bygone age, you know, if you could just fly over it. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, as you said, like, usually people who are playing the mods are people who have already played the game and they want some new experience to to replay the game in a different way. So having these kind of small additions, like even if they are, let's say, game-breaking, but they can be fun and they can use them. And then, as I said, like try another mod. Like the flying mods are available, for example, in the Harry Potter mod so that they can, they can use them then. And if they want a completely different experience, they can try the God of War mod, for example, which focuses on new God of War weapons and all of these kinds of stuff. If they get bored of that, they can try... Like one of the mods we made is adding tanks and uh, like jet planes to Elden Ring, and it's it's a, literally I called the mod Elden Ring Broken AF. Like that's literally the name of the mod because you can literally just break the entire game and just like one shot some of the bosses, but you do it while riding a tank or while flying with the jet or something. So it's just like a very fun <laughs> fun way and a very different and a very broken way of playing the game for just like, okay yeah i just want to have fun i don't care about balancing or anything yeah i'm gonna try out this month 
Yeah, exactly. So um, just as like a question for a more technical side of things, mm -hmm. uh, you seem to have a couple of mods that have to do with, I guess, mounts, you know, flying mounts, a tank, a jetpack. Does that have anything to do with the AI or like functions that have to do with mounting torrent? Or is it like another type of programming function? Yeah, the the base of it is basically built upon like torrents, uh, like torrents function of being able to be written. Like we are basically replacing torrent with something else, but there's a lot of details that goes into it. Like as I said, the flying mouse they had a lot of, uh, let's say, changes and having let's say the base with the animations, with the flying, with the, all of that stuff that needs to be done, let's say behind the scenes and the code before before just replacing let's say it's not just like simply a model replacement there's a lot of other stuff that are done in the background as a base to be able to achieve those things uh specifically for the flying mounts thing because that that was one of the most challenging things to do but once the base was there it was uh, like much easier now to expand it like the first thing we tried was making flying brooms for the harry potter mod and then we expanded it into flying hippogriffs and flying birds and all the uh, let's say the different flying mounts idea Okay, that makes sense. Uh, did you have any trouble with like the falling death planes when you were making it? Like, if you flew through them at all? Yeah, yeah, that was one of the things. Uh, but also, like, that was one of the things that was, let's say, like fifty percent. You won't die from those, uh, let's say, death barriers. But also, sometimes, like, there are death barriers that just force you to die. So you just die. So if they kill you, then, as I said, like, that's one of the things. It's not meant to be very let's say foolproof of sorts so if, if you die going to that area then just don't go to that area <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course that makes sense okay so uh, um for the garden of eyes mod beyond the uh, the weapon overhauls you mentioned that you had certain custom bosses that you were working on is this something new to working on elden ring itself or have you tried that before now generally like one of the things about the souls game is that they, from technically from demon souls they use the same sort of techniques for the file formats and all of that so they change let's say very minimal stuff in terms of like how things are built but of course they are expanded for newer engines for uh let's say the havoc engine which is for physics and cloth and uh, uh collisions and all of these kinds of uh, let's say mechanics uh, they're, of course, upgraded to cater to those new technologies and all of these kinds of things. So let's say transitioning from things that we were doing in Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3 wasn't very difficult in Elder Ring because it shared basically like 90% the same base and the same techniques and the same uh, workflow, let's say. So I wouldn't say it wasn't difficult because there was a lot of challenges also related to modding the bosses themselves. Like, there's a lot of small details that can sometimes be really annoying to fix. Like, just sometimes one attack, like, has a problem and you spend, like, an hour or two just, like, fixing why the attack is not working. And it might be just, like, a simple flag that you missed or something. So there's a lot of challenges that can go into, like, creating those new bosses. But recently, like, as you said, the modding scene is expanding a lot. So the tools are becoming more... Uh, advanced to edit more stuff in a much more easier manner uh, for both creating new bosses and even creating new movesets for weapons and all of that. Like, I think just a month ago, we uh, got an actual tool made by uh, a developer called the 12th Avenger 
where basically right now we can actually add new movesets to the weapons because previously we could only replace existing movesets with other movesets or replace animations with other animations. But right now we can actually create new Ash of Wars, Ashes of War, creating new, basically creating new movesets. So that allowed us, for example, to easily make a trick weapon, uh, like a custom trick weapon in Elder Ring, and also separating the movesets so that each weapon or each special weapon has its own special moveset that's not affecting the other weapons. And that would have been somewhat revolutionary in the overall process to making these new movesets, since you didn't really have to worry about changing the entire weapon class, or and you could just go into more detail on what individual special weapons had, right? Yeah, definitely. Like this was one of the main, let's say, turning points in terms of uh, modding Elder Ring, because uh, being able to add movesets, as you said, like before, we had to worry about okay like this is gonna affect the other weapons so how are we we have to take like do special methods to actually make okay this effect that appears on this weapon to not appear on all of the other weapons in the same class so we have to do something special to make sure that it only plays like it plays this effect or shoots this let's say beam when you only have that weapon equipped so it had a lot of things that we had to take into consideration like behind the scenes in the code to make it work. But right now it's just like much more convenient and much more faster. And it also opened up a lot of new possibilities as well to, in terms of what animations and movesets we can create. That's awesome to hear. Is, uh, is 12th Avenger part of your team or is he uh, like independent? Uh, no, no, he's not like part of our team, but he has like helped us a lot in terms of... Uh, like and he helped me a lot in terms of the animation stuff. Uh, basically, understanding how the animation stuff work, how the uh, uh, the tool and adding new animations and stuff. I, I keep bugging him a lot, actually. So like I, like every a day or two, I just like keep asking him questions, and he was very, he's very kind to like actually constantly be helping me in these uh, like with with my questions and my constant bothering. So. <laughs> That's nice that the community is so tight in that that you know you can have that sort of dialogue. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because like there's a lot of, like that. Uh, that was one of the things. Uh, like even from the people in my team, like the even the people who are, yeah they do for example moveset changes and all of that. Like even yeah okay I have let's say four or five six years experience in modding Souls games, but I still learn stuff new stuff from them and they learn new stuff from me. So it's sort of like something that's mutual beneficial for for the different people because as i said like i learn a lot of stuff from them they learn a lot of stuff from me and or sometimes we just learn new stuff together and all that so it's also like a very nice experience like seeing yeah that's one of the things like again to come to basically like focus on it again is the diversity in the team allows you to see new perspectives and new methods to actually deal with problems that happen or let's say certain bugs that might appear in in the mod in certain ways like i might have a certain imagination of how how i want to fix this bug but someone in the team has a very different weird way that works better than mine so like we end up using that for example so these kinds of things and interactions also uh like, as i said makes your mind just <laughs> move and think more about how to solve problems and how to think about stuff yeah, I feel like programming in general can be a very logical process. So having a diverse perspective on it, especially on like 
I feel like, you know, reverse engineering a game to make something of it yourself can offer up a lot of different problem-solving, you know, solutions and experience. Yeah, exactly. Because usually when we are creating new, new mechanics, we tr first the first, let's say, thing we usually do is we try to see if there is something similar to it that was already done, whether in Elder Ring or even in previous games. And seeing, okay, like if they implemented it in this way, can we utilize that methodology that they used in order to, uh, to basically just implement our own way of it? So like one of the, one of the things, for example, was uh, the Bloodborne gun parrying. So uh, we actually did it, uh, I think, last year uh, with a collaboration like with another team. Uh, basically, the idea, we made it in a very, I don't want to say janky way, but that was technically one of the, I don't want to say the only way, but it was, it was one way of doing things like to get gun parrying and eldering. It was a very, like, let's say, messy and very long process to get it done. Um, so recently, like with what I told you, like some of the advancements of the modding tools and the uh, like reverse engineering of some files, we were able to replicate exactly in Elder Ring how Bloodborne did the gun pairing. So we were able to take a peek in the code of Bloodborne, and this is the way that they did the gun pairing, which was which was literally just like one line of code, and we were able to reflect that same methodology and implement it into Elder Ring, and we we got we got a much more polished gun pairing than the one we did with the long way as well. So that advancement also helped us reflect some of the previous mechanics onto. Um, Elder Ring in a much more convenient and a much more efficient manner as well. That's awesome. I hadn't known that you had uh, managed to port gun parrying in the Elden Ring. Does it work with, like, do you have just, like, a new class of guns for it, then? Yeah, basically we, we added, uh, we actually added, like, two new guns in the last update, and uh, basically the idea is that it's, it's very, it's technically the same as how we have it in Bloodborne. Uh, but the idea is that, for example, bosses like Radagon, uh, to be able to successfully parry them, you have to parry them three times in order to get the repost animation. So to keep it also balanced uh, with how the gameplay of Elder Ring is, we sort of mixed the two concepts together. So if you want to get a successful repost from gun parrying, you need to gun parry, for example, Radagon three times in order to get the repost animation. Because we don't, because the entirety of Bloodborne's gameplay is built around the the utilization of the gun parrying mechanism. So the bosses are built in a certain way to cater for that mechanic. But Elder Ring is completely different. It doesn't have that mechanic. So it would be just like very, very odd implementing it in the same exact way. So we tried, as I said, to mix and match between the two concepts to make it something that fits into the gameplay and doesn't make it very broken and very different in that regard. Okay, I like that you uh you considered the balance of the game when adding it. So, uh, for modding in general, you mentioned that Twelfth Avenger had made a tool for you previously. Are there any other like big tools that you use for anyone that might be listening to this and might be interested in trying out modding themselves? Like, would you have any recommendations and tools to start with, or things to just like get acquainted with in terms of the overall uh, technical details of the game? Uh, I believe there is uh, there is a, like a Dark Souls or Souls modding wiki that basically has all of uh, all of the different the very like different tutorials, different uh, 
the the four explanations of the formats, uh, different tools on how they are used, and all of that. So I think that wiki is is one of the biggest, let's say, resources for learning modding for Souls games in general. Which, as I said, like generally, it's very similar between the different games. It's just like simple new additions, modifications, stuff like that. So I think like the wiki of uh, like the Souls modding wiki is one of the best places if someone wants to get started and to learn uh, to learn Souls modding. It's I think the perfect place to start. Okay, that makes sense to me. And I'll add links to that along with most of the other stuff that we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, for as sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so getting into your uh, modding process, you know, we've already talked about your development team and such, and um, you know. I wanted to get into the uh, method that you use to monetize your ads on your Patreon, since I know that that's something that you wanted to talk about as well. Uh, would you like to tell me about, you know, just like explain it overall, and then we can get into the like questioning it and such. So basically, what we have is that we created a launcher for uh, for installation of mods. Uh, because the process of installing mods can sometimes for people there are people that they they're not very let's say computer savvy in a way they just want okay I want to download the mod and I want to play it they don't understand that they need for example to extract a program and extract files and put them in a certain folder in order to play it and all of that so what we wanted to do is create sort of a let's say, framework to make this, okay, yeah, they literally click on the mod, then they launch the mod. Like, they, like it decreasing the number of steps they need to actually experience the mods. So basically, we made this launcher, which houses all of the mods that we are creating. Um, and the idea is that we have that on Patreon for... There's basically two, let's say, two main reasonings be, behind why we have our mods as early access on Patreon, so people who uh, support us with, uh, like, in one of the tiers, which is the five dollars tier, is uh, they get early access to the mods that we are developing. So, for example, the Garden of Eyes mod, it's still it's a very big project. It's gonna probably take a year, maybe more, of to be able to, let's say, reach the playable vision that we want. That actually, yes, this is the vision that we want people to experience as the final product. Uh, but we also want people to be able to try it out while it's being developed and being part of the development process. So that was one of the things that we wanted to do is because, like, as you said, uh, there are different mods for Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 3 and even Dark Souls 2, I believe, that are being developed. But uh, we're seeing just trailers and teasers and all of that. And we're waiting for uh, for the people to release a demo or uh, release the f- final version of the mod and all of that. And that's completely fine. But for me, I believe that I want people to experience the mod as it's being developed, because in the end, it's also it's technically a community-driven project. So uh, having the people experience the projects as they are being developed is something that that's one of let's say my base uh, ideologies for creating mods. And the idea is that at the end, like once yeah, okay, this mod is fully complete, we're going to be releasing releasing it for free for everyone to enjoy. Like that's the concept, but. Uh, as I said, like we want people to try it out as it's being developed, but as it's as early access because it's still not the full experience. And one of the second reasons is that, uh, like a lot of, as I mentioned, basically we have a team of ten people that are working on the mod, and 
they're technically working full time on creating the content for the mod, uh, creating new models, creating new music, new bosses, new ideas, new art, all of these kinds of stuff. And basically, um, these people they're getting compensated, uh, like monthly for the work that they do. And it, it, uh, I don't want to let's say get into specific numbers, but there are some months where like the expenses of the mod can range from like one thousand five hundred to two thousand dollars each month. So having Patreon allows us to like allows me to be able to fairly compensate the people working on the mod and ensuring that they have a consistent way that they can get compensated for their work as well. So they can put their best work and they can actually put, uh, let's say, their full time and effort into actually developing the mod and producing the best product that could be produced. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, and sort of both accounts, like in terms of making the, making the mod early access for people, at least a certain set of people, since it's a community driven projects being made for people within the community, it makes sense to let them play it to begin with. Uh, the fact that you utilize that concept to make money for the second, like, latter half, I sort of, you know, I understand that as well. Like, everyone has to hustle, so to say, in the world, and it's not unlike certain YouTube creators creating content and pre-releasing it on Patreon, for instance, or even how certain YouTubers have gone to other websites like, I don't know, like Skillshare, I guess, to release their content at like a paid basis, you know? Like, there's not a lack of precedent for it when it comes to making content, fan content for any sort of media and trying to profit off of it, especially in today's age with YouTube. It's just that there's not so much of a precedent for it when it comes to mod making so far. So I sort of understand like that this is has become somewhat, you know, I, I've seen people argue about it online before, I I I suppose. That's because like also YouTube is not exactly the most consistent income source. So I can't really depend on, because like sometimes I upload a video, it gets 10,000 views. I upload another video, it can get 100,000 views. I upload another video, it can get 1,000 views. So it's very inconsistent in terms of, let's say, revenue. So I can't, let's say, base like, okay, like these people, they are in my team working with me to create the mod. And I'm going to pay you, let's say, this X number for you to do this X number of tasks each month. And I can't, let's say, promise them confidently that I am, yeah, that I will be able to pay you this amount, basing it only only on YouTube. Because like YouTube's algorithm and monetization, all of that, it's very, it's very, I don't want to say weird, but let's say unclear to be able to be made sort of consistent. So having Patreon and people supporting the project and supporting the people behind the project can give us more confidence that, yeah, this is a project that we can take on, and this is a project that we're going to be investing our own time and effort to to create this content for the community. So having that kind of support and kind of reassurance is, is something that can allow us to allow us to be more comfortable and more confident in that we are creating this content and we'll be able to create this content. Yeah, it's a lot more risky to put your time into something like this without any sort of confirmation that they'll be 
you know, a payoff to it. And even without the Patreon, if you were to just release a YouTube video on it, like you said, the YouTube video is chancy on what kind of views or ad revenue it might get. And it's just a YouTube video compared to a Patreon. So I can understand how, at least like fiscally, you know, you would approach that, especially when it comes to how much work you're putting into this and how you're, you know, paying other people to help you out with working on it. Because, like, I, like, as I said, like, I want to emphasize on the fact that in the end, we want to release all of these mods for free when they are complete. Like, there are some of the overhaul mods, for example, like the Scarlet Witch mod. It's basically, like, still, like, technically finished. I just need to patch out some bugs, like, in it, and I'm, I'm going to be releasing it for free. Because, like, let's say the development for this mod is just complete. So now I want to release it for free because that's, let's say, the, the end game I'm thinking for this mod. But for example, for mods like the Garden of Eyes, it's still it's still a very big project. And I when I want people to experience the full thing, I want them to experience the full thing with the new all uh, new bosses and new areas and new weapons and all of these kinds of stuff. So when they experience it and when it's released, like yeah, this mod is released, go try it out. People can experience the full thing at once. And uh, and as I, as you said, like basically that support. Like with the, it's uh, like you can get access to all of the mods we create by just like the five dollars tier, which gives you access to like around ten or eleven mods, and some of those are like big overhaul mods, like the God of War mod, which which has like new characters, new weapons, all of that. The Harry Potter mod, which has new spells, new the flying brooms, uh, uh, the Scarlet Witch mod, for example, the broken AF mod. Like they, uh, you basically with this like small, very small $5 subscription, you're getting access to a lot of mods that are that are not just, let's say, simple weapon replacements or something. They're actually mods that that have a lot of, let's say, depth and more detail and more, let's say, more care put into them. Uh, it's not just like one mod that you download and yeah, that's it. No, it's actually a, a t technically a completely different experience in that regard. So, and uh, the entire team is working towards maintaining and creating the mods. And uh, that's one of the things also is like maintaining the mods is also one very, uh, let's say, a big hassle of sorts because Elder Ring is still releasing updates every once in a while. So we need to like, okay, when you, they release a new update, we need to update all of the mods and make sure that they are compatible with the new version of the game. So, and some mechanics sometimes just literally break, like the horse skins, for example, in uh, the Garden of Eyes mod, they just broke for, for, for some reason in the latest update. So we had to disable them until we can find the fix or if they fix it in the next update or something. So this kind of also management of, the project itself and also keeping track of the people working with me on the mod so making sure everyone is working towards the same goals everyone is working towards the same milestones towards the same idea and making sure that they are achieving what they are achieving and the the ideas that we're trying to implement it's all directed towards yeah and in a, in a much more efficient manner and in a in a very productive way to get things rolling and to get more content out for the people to enjoy and basically to have every month, like that, that's what we're basically doing, is that every month we're adding four or five new weapons, uh, some new mechanics, some new armor. So we always try to add new things to keep the people excited and to make the people more excited about the mod idea and seeing how 
it grew from a simple just weapon and weapon moveset swapping to an actual big overhaul mod that changing the entire experience of the game. And we still the the thing is is technically we still didn't showcase any of the huge stuff that we are working on because like there there are some things that we've been developing for more than three months now. And once we get them finished, that's when we show them to people. We're very excited to see what they will think about them. Yeah, I bet it's uh, I bet it's exciting to hold the bigger bigger reveals closer to your chest because that's the sort of stuff that you know really wows people. Yeah, indeed, and uh, like as you said, it's, it's something when we're creating this kind of stuff and having, and also that's something for us for the team that we are very happy about is that. For example, we had an idea for a boss back in, I think, November or maybe October, I think. It was like actually when we started, when we turned the mod into an overhaul, when we decided to make it an overhaul mod. And the boss fight is the boss fight we technically saw it generally becoming an actual alive idea and we're actually playing against it. it was like a month ago. So, like after four or five months and then seeing, like, yeah, we actually were able to create this vision and this just simple idea we had in our head is just something that that keeps us also going and keeps us excited more that we want to keep adding new new things and new ideas that make people excited and always try to sort of innovate as much as possible in terms of ideas because we don't as i said like we don't want to just let's say uh, repeat what the game had we want to add the new stuff so and enhance the experience as much as possible yeah, I completely understand that. It's uh, you know, it's like innovating with your own ideas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And seeing them, seeing them alive is just like a very good feeling. So. <laughs> I bet so. It's um, it's nice to see any creative project finished after working on it for a while. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. We'll be right back after these messages. Are you a mercenary called to Drang Lake to fight in the Giant Wars? Do you feel cheated by the abdication of King Fendrick? Were you wounded in the war for succession that followed? Well, you may be entitled to compensation. I'm Grand Sorcerer Nevlon, and I have never lost a case, and I won't lose yours. So stop those worries and call us today at 1-800-WOUNDED. We at the Aldia and Ancient Dragon Law Firm will help you or your souls back today. In other news, St. Trina, a fellow content creator and previous guest, has released a wonderful video relating Ronnie and Millennia to each other through color theory. Smotown has also released his Radigan video, which is a very interesting watch overall. And while this account has not had any new releases recently, Bob the Hollow is a fantastic content creator who has very, very aesthetic videos, so go check them out and give them a listen. And now, back to the episode. Anyway, is there any way you want to take the podcast now that we're, uh, you know, like an hour in? Well, one of the one of the things is that also, like generally, the great thing about the, as I said, like the different mods is that there's like a lot of also, for example, on Nexus mods that you can download some some visual mods that change weapons and all of that. So, uh, like also with the launcher, we are sort of implementing a function where it will allow you to merge for example if you have a let's say an armor mod that you like on nexus mods and you want to add it into uh into let's say the garden of eyes mod that, that's one of the things that's sort of problematic is that if you have 
like different mods they have conf conflicting files so when you install a mod and then you add another mod over it it would sort of conflict in files so it wouldn't sometimes that like the, both mods basically break because of like these conflicting files so that was one of the things that we wanted to make in the launcher as like as a very convenient process and especially like updating the mods because um, for example as i said some people they just don't they don't really like have a lot of computer knowledge they just want to download the mods and play it so that was one of the things that we faced before the launcher is that when let's say a new we wanted to release a new update for the mod or the game they released a new update that broke the mods they had to manually go and download the new files and then um and then like install them again so it was like a very hassle process and as i said like adding different mods to and updating them also can be a hassle so that was one of the things that that actually let's say gave us motivation to create the launcher because at the end we wanted to make it just a very convenient uh, a very convenient process for people who are uh, who are let's say not very experienced in in computer knowledge to be able to update and all of that and we we did let's say have some let's say i don't want to say conflict but uh, like we put some of the mod, like we put one, like some mods in the launcher, but like we made the mistake that we didn't ask the people who may actually made the mod into the launcher, but we put it just like for easier, as we said, like easier updates, easier implementation into the mod. And, uh, but it, it was a mistake. <laughs> so like that was one of the things also that we uh, sort of, let's say, took notice of is that the people creating the mods, they also... Uh, let's say they have, we, we have to like check with them that if they're okay to, let's say, put the mods in the launcher and all of these stuff. So these also things got us more aware of like, yes, how the community is developing the mods, how, let's say, like the love and care they give for their mods is something that they care about. So that was something is that we also took into consideration with with some of the things that we are creating, which also allowed us to, let's say, get involved more in the community to see uh, and, try, and trying to, let's say, have some sort of, um, I don't want to say a middle ground, but sort of, let's say, an, an agreement. Because as I said, like a lot of people, they don't prefer the idea of having paid mods. Like they just prefer that mods to be free and all of that. And I completely understand that that concept. I'm not against having free mods, that all mods should be paid. but. As I said, in our situation, it's a little bit of a different situation. But at the end, our goal is to make the mods uh, free. So that was like the, a little misunderstanding is that um, like, like some of the mods we put in the launcher, they thought that we were selling their mods, which were originally for free, but that wasn't the intention at all. It was just to make it easier for people to download them and just update them and all of that. And, uh, and I also like tried to, to contact them, but they were busy busy in the process of like the, like fixing some of the mods. So I'm in the process of contacting them again to make sure that they understand like exactly like why I put the mod in the launcher. Like for it was basically for just a convenience reason and not for uh, not for like trying to sell the mod or something like this. Like it was a mistake and an honest one. And like yeah, we're still trying to contact them to see like if they can like understand the actual reasoning of why we added the mods. 
community relations, I feel like, is one of those skills that comes with, like, learning to manage a development team and working on something like this. And, of course, it always has a little bit more... I guess, like, hotter or more volatile grounds whenever you bring the monetization process into it, because then, you know, people get a, more, a little bit more suspicious of motivations. Um, I think I can see where you were coming from when you would add, like, it, my understanding is that these mods were previously incompatible with your own mod set, and in combining them with your own mods, you made the launcher to make it easier for everything to be put together. And then you put the launcher on the Patreon. Is that is that correct? Yeah, basically it was just like the to be able to install this mod in conjunction with our overhaul mods. It was a little bit of a complicated process. So we just wanted to make it much easier that people can yes, just click click on it, they can enable it, click on it, they can disable it. So it was just like making it very convenient for the people to to just use this mod and easily download it and merge it with them. And if if an update, let's say, was put into it, they can easily update it through the launcher and all of that. Like that was the main goal. But I think it was just like, as I said, like we like we made the mistake of not contacting the developers first. So that was like a little bit of a, like a, a, a mistake on our part that we did. But uh, as we said, like we're, we're trying to sort of remedy that to see if... Uh, like we can get something that that benefits basically both because at the end it's something that sort of affects the experience for the people that like having an easy installation method for the mods because that's something like like that's generally a problem for all mods and that was again like one of the motivations we wanted for creating the launcher is to basically just make people make installation of mods just like literally one click so you just don't need to do you don't need to think a lot when you want to install a mod or you want to merge one mod with another and all of that. So like that was the main goal that we are trying to we were trying to achieve with with the with the launcher itself. Yeah. And if your if your general mod set has a reliance on the mods in question, then it would, you would have to like rely at you know, it it it'd be weird not to bundle them, especially if there was something that could go wrong with the individual installation and the the later on prepackaged installation. Um, what was the nature of the mods that you had added that were made by other creators? Like, were they frameworks for, like, weapon attacks or something like that? Like, what were they, what was the kind of mods that you took? That affected, let's say, the gameplay experience itself, like, in general. Like, it's uh, basically that affected, let's say, the gameplay of, 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 the, of the mods themselves and Elder Ring as a whole. Okay. Um, yeah, and that's good that you're trying to get in contact with them. Have you managed to contact any of the creators so far? I did send them, but I still didn't get, uh, like, a, a very direct reply on it. Because, like, I think it's just, uh, like, I'm trying to, like, as I said, like, just trying to make them understand why I did this. And it wasn't really in any bad intention. Like, it was a really genuine, uh, genuine approach of just making it more convenient for the people but it was sort of misunderstood in a way that i was trying to sell their mod and all of that which again it wasn't that wasn't the intention at all and if that was if that was what appeared then like i, I it was an honest mistake and i apologize for it but yeah like that's that's basically the gist of the <laughs> the idea of the thing hopefully we can like reach to something so yeah
Yeah. Yeah, I can get, I can sort of get both sides, you know, like if you're making a mod or a group of mods and you need and you need something that someone else made because of a dependency, you know, and you're making this for other people and you've got a mod installer, it feels natural to just go ahead and do that. And then like, you know, you might just like not even think to contact people. And then I can also see obviously how someone might be a little bit peeved about like you know, asking forgiveness rather than permission. But I hope that everything can settle out and that you can get in contact with the, these creators and, like, you know, hash something out in a reasonable way. I hope so as well, because that was also something, like, like as I mentioned, like, in the, at the start when, like, I started modding Dark Souls 2, is, like, when I used the cheat engine tables for, like, to mod the game and all of that. Like, at that time, like, as I said, like, I, I was 14. I didn't exactly, like, understand, like, copyrights and that people, let's say, put effort into their into their work to make this kind of stuff. So, like, I didn't mention that this person made this table and all of that. So it, it was just, like, as I said, like, I was 14 and stupid at that time. But, like, moving forward, because, like, right now I'm in a similar position as them. Uh, I'm creating mods myself, so let's say if I see someone who is using and spreading my mods without, let's say, my permission or claiming that they made those mods themselves, it it will sort of like get me peeped about it for sure. So, like, understand being in the shoes of the developers themselves is also something that has uh, basically made me understand more on, like, yeah, why those people were mad or they were peeved about this and like, etc. So. Yeah, that's that's something like one of the lessons learned like when when I did those mods. The problem is that some people still like until now they refer like yeah, eight years ago you you used the tables without permission. All that I'm like okay, yeah, it was eight years ago and I already apologized for it. I I, I didn't do it intentionally. So but there there's like still some people that still like yeah. Well, if you did this now, you're doing it again and all that. I'm like no, that's that's not the case. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's one of those life lessons in general. You know, a lot of people grow up surrounded by, you know, all of the trappings of life, the way that their parents and society and everything lives. And it takes a while to settle in that all of that stuff is constructed by other humans. And that sometimes when you use something that was made by another human, it's like, it has to settle in that someone made that, you know? Like, I had that with books, movies, you had that, you know, like mods and everything. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it can, it can be reflected into like different kinds of uh, like media and application for sure. Yeah, and that's a little harsh that you still have certain things following you. I feel like the best thing that you can do in that situation is be transparent with your actions. Try and be accommodating to what other people want if you've wronged them, and you know, like just try and like obviously learn and grow as as well as you can you know everyone makes mistakes yeah exactly like that's like that's one of the things that like i'm trying to be like as you said like basically being transparent about it but sometimes just people are following some let's say misconceptions and they just like they're stuck to them without listening to let's say they okay they heard this about this person they don't even let's say ask like the the, the other side about the like, is this actually, like, what happened or not? They just, like, have some sort of misconception and they just keep acting upon it. And even when explaining it to them, it's just, like, no, that they don't want to believe it. They believe the misconception. So it can sometimes get very tricky, like, interacting with some, uh, like, some people in that regard. But at the end, like, I can't do nothing more than being transparent and 
And when I make a mistake, I apologize for it. So like, that's literally like the only thing I can do. Like, I can't do anything more than that. And if I can remedy it in a, let's say in a better way or in a more way, I would love, I don't mind doing that, especially if I like wronged someone in some regard. Like, I don't mind remedying the situation, but sometimes it's just like, no, you did the mistake and we're never going to forgive you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I understand that completely. So while we're talking about, I guess, misconceptions, <laughs> you know, fun segues there, you know, we love <laughs> pessimism. Um, are there any other things that you'd like to clear up in that case or... <laughs> I think I think that's just like as I said, like uh, I think one of the main like topic that people keep talking about is the paid mods and all of that. So that's like one of the main main things that uh, uh, like I wanted to clear up for people to understand because it's one of the main things that we are doing right now. Uh, like I want people to understand why we are doing it, not just like seeing it like as is, because like we're not just doing it because we want to. We're doing it because. I don't want to say we have to, but for this specific project to to succeed and for and to move smoothly and efficiently and being also fair to the people working on the mod itself, uh, this is one of the let's say methods that we are doing. Uh, as I said, like at the end, the mods will be released for free, and we are planning like some of the already existing mods now to release them for free. But as I said, like at the end, uh, like this is something that's done to ensure that the team can efficiently work on the things and uh um and yeah and as i said like again like if i wronged anybody i'm sorry <laughs> that, that's all i could say <laughs> yeah do you have a uh roadmap for your releases of the mods at all or is it just you know you're still early in development and you're trying to see how it goes well for the garden of eyes mod to be honest <laughs> the problem is that like we have sort of a rough roadmap, but the problem is that the more we do new stuff, we come up with more new stuff. <laughs> so like it's just like as I said, it's a very like big and ambitious project. So I'm not. I think one of the main things, like if we want to actually set an actual roadmap, I think we would do that after the DLC is released, because then we will know, let's say, the full potential of the game, what they added in the DLC, because we have some ideas in mind, but we still don't know that they might be tackled in the DLC, for example. So we want to see the full experience of the game and then like deciding, okay, like this is the direction we're going to be going with uh, the Garden of Eyes overhaul mod. Now for the others, it's generally like, as I said, like for example, the Scarlet Witch mod, uh, it was a mod that I released that uh, that I did when like the new Scarlet Witch and uh, the Doctor Strange movie came out and we did some updates to it. And I don't think like we're going to be adding more updates to it. So we're going to release it because that's, let's say the... That's the goal that we wanted to reach for it. Some of the other mods as well, like the God of War mod, we're still adding more, like we were adding three new bosses and five new weapons to it, for example. So we're still adding content to that. So the mods are being constantly updated. We're not just like releasing one mod and throwing it away. No, we're we're constantly iterating, improving, adding new stuff to the mods to to make sure that the people who are enjoying and playing those mods are constantly getting new uh getting new experiences that when they are playing those mods. Okay. That makes sense to me. Do you um do you plan to change any NPC quest lines or add any new content to NPCs with your mods? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's one of the things. Like, basically, what we are aiming for is completely overhauling the, all of the aspects of the game. So we're currently working on uh, new levels, and new bosses, and new NPCs. So it's all coming, but again, like, there is a lot of process that goes into first ideating those ideas and implementing those ideas. And sometimes it can get, like, very... Uh, very overwhelming because there's so many things being done together. So being like properly juggling all of these kinds of stuff together, it does take like a very good, a very good amount of time. It's it's very similar like when you are developing an actual game because like that's in terms of the process, it's technically the same. Like we are conceptualizing, we're creating assets, we are adding them into the game, we're doing scripting, all of that. So it's very similar to the process of developing a game. So that process has a lot of ins and outs to it, like having uh, like different uh, bugs appearing, testing, merging everything together, all of these kinds of stuff. They take a lot of time to, to do all of these stuff together. So adding, we're constantly adding new stuff and new concepts and expanding. So it's just that this stuff takes some time to get all polished up. Like that's that's the main idea of the like the thing basically yeah it's a lot of work even if you're working off of a pre-existing engine like you say there's all new assets uh like you're even making new soundtracks so this like like you mentioned before i mean by the way um do you know the people that are making the soundtracks off of the top of your head like the composers you mean uh for which ones you mean uh, for the Garden of Eyes mod, my bad. I'm not yeah, sure if you have any other mods that have. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, basically, the person who's doing the soundtracks is called Rel Souls. And he's already created, like, I think three or four, like, very amazing tracks that we're very excited to, like, showcase with, with their own bosses. Like, the bosses are, in terms of design and animations, they're almost complete. So th there's going to be, let's say, there's going to be a lot of exciting stuff and exciting new stuff coming soon to the Garden of Ice. So that, that's all I'm going to like comment on now. <laughs> <laughs> Very fair. Okay, before I wrap up with asking you about you know details, do you have any conceptual NPC quest lines or anything reworks that you might want to tease? Uh, or like just in your mind or like on the brainstorming sheet for now? I think one of the major things that we have, which we have showcased like small bits and pieces, and we have teased the boss fight in uh, uh, in the, the one of our latest videos where we showcased the updates to the mod, is basically where one of the let's say great one entities from Bloodborne is sort of overlapping with the world of Elder Ring, so the entire area is going to be affected in that regard. And it's gonna bring some, some let's say familiar elements to the to the game, but in a reimagined way that sort of fits into the narrative of of Elder Ring. <laughs> <laughs> sounds interesting. That sounds very cryptic. <laughs> very very cryptic. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, uh, thank you so much again for joining today. I think I've got, you know, most of my questions answered. Is there anything left that you'd like to shout out or bring up before, you know, we get to the end of the podcast? Uh, well, for, first of all, thank you for getting me on the podcast. Like, uh, like it's really great talking about this kind of stuff. And, uh, like, as I said, just like sh talking about 
with like the process of creating the mods, the like the thought process and the creative process that goes into it, and uh, basically how everything is basically done. So it's, it's just like a, I like talking about this stuff because it's like stuff that's done behind the scenes and not something showcased to all people. So uh, like having giving people more insight about like the reasoning behind some of the stuff we do uh, and clearing up some, let's say, sometimes misconceptions that might be and uh, uh, just like a very good thing to do <laughs> like from time to time, I think. Yeah, it's always interesting to get that perspective, especially if I'm someone that, like you said, is sort of doing more behind the scenes content creation where their opinions or, you know, like motivations aren't always as clearly voiced. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> okay, so in a more casual sense, before we really finish up, uh, and just to put you on the spot a little for fun, uh, what's your favorite uh, from software game? boss and i guess weapon just you know just to round out the options <laughs> mm. <laughs> to be honest in terms of favorite game i would have to go with sekiro to be honest because i love how they completely changed the way the game is played and for me sekiro is just like the game that when you get used to the mechanics and you actually become very used to the mechanics you feel like like you're a pro playing the game and just like very satisfying like doing all of the deflections and fighting the hard bosses and all of that so i think in terms of like overall experience i really enjoy sekiro in terms of favorite boss that's one of that's a very tough one because the because there's a lot of aspects that go into like the boss like so there are some bosses that i love their music some bosses i love their design but if i would say overall i would go with ludwig from bloodborne i think he has the overall like all of the good points he has amazing music amazing story amazing design uh, i think uh, yeah i think i would go with ludwig uh, what was the third question it was a uh, favorite weapon, which is very broad, oh. but <laughs> you, you, don't, mm. you, you can just like throw anything out there if it's uh, a little bit. <laughs> it it might be like a very cringe answer, but I would say like the Moonlight Greatsword in all of the games, because <laughs> it's just something that's like like I love how consistent and how in every game there's like a different design and different reimagination of it in every game. So that's that's uh, I I like how they keep reimagining it in different situations and different worlds of sorts. I mean, it's definitely a fan favorite, and maybe it's Miyazaki's favorite too if he's putting uh, it probably. in all of his games. <laughs> <laughs> Most likely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with you about Sekiro as well. I just there's something about that game that I think is incredible. <laughs> definitely, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, that's it. You know, thank you everyone that has watched this far, and thank you once again, Garden, for uh, you know coming on the chat with me today. No, for sure, and thank you for having me here. And that's about it. Thank you once again for listening this far. As always, I deeply appreciate the viewership. I'd also like to thank my moderators, Agaric and Mog FVB, for helping make this podcast a reality, as well as Cosmic Tail for letting me use his band's wonderful music. The next episode will host Ember Place, a content creator who makes very creative Soulsborne tier lists and who has many insights into some of the niches in the series. 
And as a brief aside for another future episode, I've recently finished a charity stream with the Rage Akari for Mermaid Rights, a uh, trans activism group in the UK, and I expect to release a bonus episode going over all the fun stuff we did, such as an entire seamless co-op playthrough after the Ember Plays episode, so look forward to that as well. Thanks again for joining, and as always, don't you dare go hollow on me.